and welcome to the Silver Hedgehog Hogcast episode 7. It's me, your host, Gary Llewellyn. Coming up on this Hogcast... Hey, that, that club that they play in, it is, it was the hottest thing, right? If you didn't play there, you didn't play anywhere. There is something very endearing about low definition on the screen for me. Really convincing, could really see what he was doing. Just before we get on to our discussion on Prince's Purple Rain, I just want to mention a few new things that have gone on to the silverhedgehog.com. The first is that we now have the ability to rate articles. So as a reader, you can nip on, you can have a read of the article and then you can give it a rating out of five stars. How cool is that? I've also written a couple of new things which have gone onto the site since our last podcast. Uh, the first being an article on vampire energy. Very topical, actually, as energy prices are going through the roof. I've also written a review of a film called The Owners, starring Maisie Williams and Sylvester McCoy. Uh, quite an overlooked thriller, horror, home invasion type film. Definitely worth checking out. The review's live on the website and there's also just watch links so you can nip on and find out where the film is currently showing and uh, take a look at it. Alright, that's enough of me rambling about what's new on the silverhedgehog.com website. It's time for our main feature, which is our green screen discussion on Prince's Purple Rain. Uh, and now it's time to welcome the guests. I've got a new guest. It's the best brewer in Brown Hills. It's Mark. Hello, Mark. Hello. You alright? <laughs> yeah, right. welcome to the Hogcast. Thank you for having me on. Our next guest is the curly-haired Yogini. She's back. It's Chelsea. Hi, Chelsea. Hi, Gary. And next up, another guest. It's the general genius, writer-director, and now adding entrepreneur to his list of talents. It's David Skato. Hello. How's it going, Gary? It's going well. Thank you. I know it's been a little while since our last recording, which was Second and Lions, but I'm glad the gang's back together. And this is a green screen podcast, so that basically means we're going to be talking about film that should have you should have seen, but you haven't seen yet, or films that really should be seen by the greatest audience and probably get overlooked. Uh, and David's film of choice was Purple Rain. So we've all been sat and watched it individually, and we've all come up with our reviews. So against the criteria of script, screenplay, sound, casting, video quality and effects, we will sit and spend the next kind of hour or so chatting about it and giving it a score. So on with the uh, on with the script and the screenplay first. So the script is a young musician tormented by an abusive situation at home who must contend with a rival singer, burgeoning romance and his own dissatisfied band as his star begins to rise. So David, is it your film? Do you want to kind of kick off talking about script and screenplay? Yes. So, um, of course, uh, I've, I've read the background of about the script and how everything evolved, um, you know, with this film. And, you know, it's a very interesting story. As far as the script and screenplay, um, I could, you know, being a, a filmmaker myself, I can, you know, I can see the flaws in it, you know, but overall, I still think that uh, it's, it's a great story. I feel like they improvised a lot, you know, um, you know, it's just, it's just a feeling, right? Um, and I don't know because I've never read the actual screenplay. So, you know, I, I think that uh, uh, script and screenplay, is, it, it, it satisfied the criteria that it was trying to reach or, or the audience it was trying to reach, I think. So 
It was written by director Albert Mangley and writer William Blinn. Now, Mangley's an interesting guy because after Purple Rain, he went to do music videos and he became Prince's manager for a couple of years. And then Tango and Cash was in production hell, so he went and finished that off for them. Blinn, on the opposite, on the other hand, he wrote kind of episodes of the TV series of fame and a, and a few several American TV, C, TV series I've not heard of, such as Our House back in the 80s, but then kind of went quiet and disappeared. Um, and Mangley was tasked by the studio to write a bit of a bi- biopic of Prince, I believe, uh, and that's where the kind of stripped comes from. Um, Charles and Mark, what did you think? Yeah, any shortcomings there are in the script and the screenplay, um, it's sort of overshadowed by, I would say, the shortcomings possibly in the acting. Um, but I think as the you know, the story goes, it's quite a timeless, classic sort of um, story, isn't it? It's overcoming adversity, making the right choice. I think in, in the case of Purple Rain, it's choosing, um, you know, good over bad, uh, positivity over negative energy. Um, and and I think in that regard, it's, it, it's, it's a good story. And it's probably something... Um, like I say, if you, if you look over the shortcomings in other aspects. And I think I know where you're coming from with that. I mean, I'm going to go out there and say it, that women are treated really badly in this film. You know, one woman's literally thrown in a dumpster, uh, which was, I think, played for laughs, but it just highlights how women are kind of mistreated in this film a lot. And I think if you can look at it as part of the time and, 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 and the scene that they're in, definitely. Would that stand up in a in a film of a biopic that came out today? Probably not, even though it is of its time. Prince uh, tricks a woman to strip naked in a lake and then makes a jump on a motorcycle. And you have to question, is that real women behaviour? Would women do that? I don't know. Um, but it is the music scene in Minneapolis, wasn't it, I think? Yes. Yeah. So it has to reflect that. There is a little bit of comedy in the script as well. Uh, there are a couple of characters which we'll talk about a little later on which crop up, and I think they are injected in to bring a bit more levity to it. And I think reading some of the uh, reviews that, that came out around the time of its release, a lot of people kind of stated that it was more of a Prince music video than it was a film, but I tend to disagree. I think it is a film. It has got a story of sorts to tell. And that is the story of somebody that is being brought up in an abusive background and an abusive behaviour who is using a creative outlet to better himself. You know, I think that's what I take away from it. Um, I haven't really gone as, as deep into it as that. But what you were saying about women being mistreated, again, it, it, I don't want to say it was acceptable, but it wasn't really, like today... It, like you say, it wouldn't happen, would it? It wouldn't be allowed on film like that. There'd be uproar. But it fits in, and as you said, it's of its time. With regards to the script, when we started watching it, it was like I missed a bit at the beginning. Now, my attention span isn't the best. But how did they come to know each other? It's probably in there somewhere, and it's probably, you know, while I was chatting to Mark... And going to the lake on the back of a stranger's bike. She's obviously never watched horror movies. It's just 
dangerous. You don't do this stuff. Um, again, I, I might have missed something with the actual plot, but the focus does seem to be more about the music, and I really enjoyed the... That the beginning, it thought it had an excellent opening with what seemed like an extended version of Let's Go Crazy. It's like, wow, this is going to be really good. And then I changed my mind. But I didn't change my mind in a bad way, just in a different way. David, what are your thoughts now you've heard us all kind of comment? Um, no, I mean, my thoughts are, you know, I, you know, I definitely agree that it was, you know, for its time and it wouldn't play today at all, you know, um, you know, but America in the 80s was a totally different place. It was drugs and rock and roll and women. And so, um, you know, you know, and I think that, you know, if you watch it from that aspect, you know, you'll probably have a different view. Um, and, and I was a child of the 80s. So, you know, I remember crazy you know, craziness surrounding myself. So, um, you know, so yeah, yeah. No, but I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's about what you can take from it now, especially if you're just watching it now for the first time, you're just watching it for the first time today, you're going to have a definitely different um, view of the film than I had from watching it in the 80s, you know, so, or the 90s rather. But um, yeah, so. I completely concur. I think the other thing that I thought with the script, uh, and this is probably my final kind of comment really, is that it, it is a script of events. So you have the wonderful opening sequence. You then have uh, you, you have a, a little bit with him away from that scene and you see a bit more of his personal life and then you have more scenes with his band and then you have more... Um, in the club, and then there's more with Prince. And it, it, the story's there, but it doesn't seem to connect between each scene very well. It just seems to be a, this is this situation, this is Prince in a different situation, uh, this is the kid doing this. So f- from that point of view, from somebody watching it from the first time, I, I thought it was you know it was good, but it wasn't a very fluid script. It, it's like a lot of stuff that was made in the 80s. Um, and I'm really, and, and this uh, this is bad because I can't think of any other exact specific examples at the moment. It probably hasn't aged particularly well. Um, in that, I think with a film like this, it, it was trying to be extremely uh, edgy, um, and there's no doubt it pushed the boundaries in in terms of what a sort of music based is it, it's not fair to call it a musical really but certainly a music focused film yeah it just hasn't aged very well it's it's not so it's not particularly slick and sophisticated it it's it is disjointed um but again that's that's probably just like a lot of films in the 80s uh, you look at them nowadays and you, you just think, how, how on earth did they think that was a good idea at the time? But but I'm trying to say that. And if, I'm trying to be fair. I'm not trying to slate the film because I appreciate, um, you know, how influential it was and um, there was nothing else like it. You know, it's utterly groundbreaking. So I don't want to make that sound like I'm being too uh, damning about the film. Really. No, 
No, I think that's a fair comment. But you look at it through the lenses of breaking it down into into these sections, and then that's where you can start to think, well, actually, thinking about it, that doesn't seem great when it is. So on that note, what would you give the script and the screenplay out of 10? Um, I would give the script a 6 out of 10. Okay, Chelsea's hanging up 6. Mark? I'm going with 5. I went with a 6. Next, we're going to go on to casting, which I think will be a bit of a hot topic. Uh, on casting duty was David Graham. I think it's fair to say the acting in the film isn't necessarily the best across the board. But these are magicians. That's a new word. I'm going to say magicians. <laughs> these are magicians. You ever seen Prince play anything? He just picks anything up and he just goes. It doesn't matter what the instrument is. It's like magic. Yes. Well, these are magicians who are basically playing versions of themselves. And I've picked a few to talk about. So the first one is Clarence Williams the third. He plays the kid's father, right? Uh, he's, he's, he's used to be in the mod squad. He's probably the most professional actor type in the film. And his, his character is a horrible man. Let's get this out of the way. He's, 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 he's mean to his wife. He's mean to himself. He's mean to his son. I think he nails it. Absolutely. Um, he, he brings this steadfast belief that he's right on the screen. He's right. Everybody else is wrong. And it's a really powerful performance. Yeah, agreed on this end. You know, I mean, just definitely the best performance out of the entire film, uh, you know, without question. I'd like to agree with both of you about the dad. He was my favourite character. Yeah, he was horrible, but he was probably the best one of the lot. Really convincing. Could really see what he was doing. Uh, yeah, I just liked him. So we're going to talk about Prince now. The Prince plays the kid, right? And I've got several learns. One, what a showman. He comes across, he may not come across as the best actor, and he always looks like he needs a hug. But once he's on <laughs> but once he's on stage, he transforms and he's just incredible. I've not I know Prince from his music. I've never seen him on screen. This is the first time I've really seen him on screen and I'm blown away. Um he plays instruments. That was a revelation. I no, I, pardon the pun. Uh I didn't know that he was so talented and can play those instruments. I always thought they were electronic backing tracks or something from the 80s, you know, synths and things. Um, and in general, I think I was in awe of his showmanship. I think his magnetism is is incredible. There are very, very few that, yeah, like him, yeah, ooze his talent, <laughs> but possibly not in the acting department, but, yeah, it's, it's stunning. And and that that's where he comes alive in the film. It's his natural place is on stage performing and it's convincing because yeah that's what he does and it's yeah the best parts of the film for me i would say when he's on stage when the band are doing the thing so unfortunately there's lots lots of that in in purple rain so it works oh yeah just you know i'm I'm in agreement that the of course the music is the best part of the of the you know of course i still like the story and everything but i mean just i mean it's prince come on man <laughs> like what else can you say prince is you know was was just a phenomenal musician and, and like i stated you know i don't know if you guys knew that but prince can pick up any instrument even if he's never played it in a matter of minutes he's playing it like a professional that's like one of the 
the greatest phenomenons, you know, just read about it. Like it's one of the greatest things I've ever heard, you know, that how he can just pick up anything, literally a didgeridoo and he can play it, you know? So uh, it's, it's just a, an amazing, amazingly talented guy. And, you know, and one of my regrets that I, that I always have is that I've never seen him in concert. You know, and, you know, and I've always wanted to go to his Vegas show. But of course, you know, you put things off and you put things off and now it's too late. So that, that's the thing that, that I'll never be able to to enjoy or, or see. But it would have been amazing if I could or if I would have. Great. <laughs> I think I'm in agreement with all of you because, I mean, Prince is tiny, but he just got <laughs> such a massive <laughs> and the mere- I've never really listened to Prince before. I knew the sing, you know, the singles that everyone knows. But listening to to the soundtrack of that film, I, d- I don't know why I've never listened to it before. Um, and yet, the music part is brilliant. It's just he's acting, not so much. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I know it's a a Prince vehicle, so to speak. You know, it is focused on him, and he is the lead. But it's a film that. If you put any other musician in there, bar probably Freddie Mercury, I don't think you'd get the same result of a film. You can't swap out any of those characters for anybody else because it is purely is no, no. focused and made for those people. Even if you look at the musicians that are around him, you can't. I can't conceivably think of swapping them out at all. From from that point of view, yes, the acting is questionable, um, but the sheer fact that they're unswappable. I think it gives it, it gives a high score. Yeah, well, but that's the th- that's the thing that makes the band um, convincing is the fact that they are his band. Yeah, that that's believable. I think, like for me, because I've spent that much time around other musicians, the the arguments, you know, the scrappy falling outs. In some regards, like when they're hanging out backstage and in the rehearsal studio, it's it's the monotony and the tedium, of, you know, of the reality of being involved in music. And they work really well in that regard, especially with all the tension between Prince and, and the band. And it's relatable as well to me. Yeah, I think the tension with the club owners as well, with, you know, they are, new, they are always looking to bolster their audience and bolster their payout aren't they so the question mark hangs over the kid all the way through the film as to whether he's bringing that audience in and is he going to stay I, I do kind of think right so, Prince and his band they're clearly the better band out of the bands that feature the film yeah they seem to have so much invested in playing at a one nightclub I mean they <laughs> they should have the confidence to go out there and go and play at other venues and go and play in other cities and it's almost like the um, the nightclub owner and I've, I've forgotten his name and I didn't uh, make a note of it. He um, sort of rules the uh, Minneapolis um, music scene with Iron Fist. <laughs> and see that that is actually that is actually true. Right. That that club that they play in, it is it was the hottest thing. Right. If you didn't play there, you didn't play anywhere. And and that's why it's so coveted. You know, so you also got to, you know, got to think about that, too. Like it's, it's one. Of, I, I mean, I don't know what the comparison would be, but it's, it's that you got to play here. Everywhere else is, you know, as they say, Swiss cheese or whatever. you don't you don't want to play anywhere else. So it's, it's more. 
is more like you take one of your top places and you are a, a um, resident band there and they boot you out and now you're playing over there at, at you know, you know, one horse bar. Right. You, you know, the feeling that you'll get if that happened. Think about it. Nobody wants to go down. You know, nobody wants to go backwards. So, you know, I think you got to kind of, you know, keep that in your head, too, that this is the premier spot. And the thing about playing or doing any kind of performance in the state or town or whatever that you you're used to, it's hard to go somewhere else. It's easier now with, you know, the Internet. But back then, it's hard. You can't really just there. OK, you have a name where you are. But if I go to the state over, I may not have that name. Nobody knows who I am, you know, because the word doesn't get out as fast, you know, in the 80s, right? You go from Prince's Club to the next level, right? The next region. Now you're regional and then you're, you know, nationwide and then you're worldwide. So which eventually Prince ended up doing. And another another thing I wanted to mention that, you know, when you guys were talking about you know, the different layers and the thing. And I think people don't really see that in the script per se. Right. You got the tension between Prince and the club owner. You got Apollonia wants to be a star. You have Prince home life. Those are things you don't really think about when you think about script. But those are very interconnected storylines that are are far more deeper than than what's on the surface. But anyway, we're not going to go back to the script. But yeah, Prince's Prince acting is a little questionable and, you know, a little stiff at times. And his deliveries are all over the place. He's Prince. You got to let it slide. And another layer, another layer of that of that script is, you know, another layer of the film is, you know, him knowing that his father was famous at one time and blew it all. You know, people don't think about that either. Is that, you know, is he trying to live up to Francis L.? Or not. And that's a question I can't even answer for the film because I don't know if he was really trying to get there, you know. But I mean, of course, you know, he he definitely wanted his music and his father lied about that whole thing, saying that he had it all in his head when it really was in the closet. I thought that was kind of funny. He wanted to be more brilliant than he really was. Yeah, knowing that he'd sat in on a trunk full of, of of written music as well while saying that dead straight to that's very true about musicians though they always think they really are apollonia kind of annoyed me slightly only only slightly yeah just just a tad on the poster at the beginning of the film and she's looking for work she prints it up and she puts age 19 she looks 40 i found it afterwards she was actually 25 so she wasn't far off um but her, her her acting was very wide-eyed and questionable, I think. But she could sing, so happy days. But this is the thing, she couldn't sing? No, that's shocking. I didn't know that. Uh, at least one of the singing performances in the film was dubbed by one of the other girls out of the Apollonia City. This is a mind-blower. I think she was cast mainly because of her acting skills, not her vocal ability. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just say it. She, 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 she was the only one that would agree to get naked into a cold lake. That's what it was. All right. Uh, I think we've had a good chat about the cast. Have we got uh, anything anybody else wants to talk about or bring up? All right. So I gave the cast an eight, purely on the back that it would be a 10 if it was just purely Prince on screen, but he's surrounded by other people that aren't quite as good. So he gets an eight. Does everybody else think of that? I think I, I think Gary, you definitely went way way above 
<laughs> what I would think. I would I would give it a six. And you know, again, only because it the acting probably was the worst thing in the movie to me. You know, um, I mean, I like the story better than the acting. Of course, the music is phenomenal, but everybody was stiff, right? Everybody seemed a little stiff and out of place to me. You know, and again, like like I say, Prince with with, with Prince. He was stiff, but he was Prince, and you got to kind of let it slide. But, you know, Mars Day was annoying. Apollonia, I mean, could have been anybody, <laughs> honestly. Um, and, and oh, don't talk about the club owner. I don't know what the hell he was doing. <laughs> you can tell me. I don't know if he's the real club owner, <laughs> because he was definitely not an actor. Right? No way, no how. No shape, form, or fashion. Um, uh, yeah, so... Um, and of course, Lisa and Wendy, they were just kind of in the background with yes and no's. Yes, no. <laughs> so, and, you know, and this is just what I see, you know. Um, but yeah, and and I really didn't like the mom. Like his mom, I, I didn't like her. I didn't write much about the mom because she's just a nothing character. And I know that's real mean, but, you know, she wasn't strong because. At the end, you know, when when whatever happens to his dad happens, she goes and sticks by him. And to me, that wasn't a strong woman. That was somebody that that was very weak minded. And I don't know. I think something could have been done better. There was one. That, can I just add one little thing? The enunciation of them. Usually, I'm saying to Mark, "What did he say? What did they say? What was that?" I heard everything more or less perfectly. It's like they were really trying, like a kids' drama group, yeah. really trying to speak clearly every single word, which kind of took out some of the passion and the emotion from it. Yeah, and and that, and that is probably the reason I'm I'm only going to give it three out of ten. Really? Yeah. Wow. I give it six. Well, crack through sound, music, and score then. Ten. Ten. Five. Ten. Move on. Oh, come on. That's not even a discussion. I give it a 10 out of 10. No, no, we can talk about it. I'm just saying, I think we, anyway, Mark, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on the music. So I was born in 1982, and the earliest sort of music I can remember when I was growing up was late 80s, which was arguably some of the worst music of my childhood um certainly until i got into my 20s you know the music didn't get much better after that and that's controversial but it was bad i i regret really the fact that i <laughs> i missed out on all of the good stuff and my idea of what 80s music is like is tainted by all of the stock a Aiken and Waterman I like pop Pilate. rubbish, yeah, <laughs> which does have its merits. But um, I absolutely love late seventies or early to mid eighties pop and rock music. I think it's really well produced. Yeah. And if you look at how sophisticated music was then, can't you compare it to what you get now? It's just off the. You can't compare the two. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say the score was faultless. I mean. Songs by uh, Apollina Six. Uh, it's not really very uh, sophisticated. Well, that's not or, all about that. Exactly. That's how good a song it is because, because it's forgotten about else it. <laughs> See, see now, now, Mark. 
I agree with you on that. But that was the purpose of the song. It wasn't supposed to be good. Like like when you when you look at the story, it, it was meant to be bad. <laughs> so you also got to put that in context, too. Yeah. Yeah. But but even with the um the songs by the time. Um... Mark, are you trying to say you didn't like the bird? It was it was it was a it was a big hit over here. I don't know why, but the kids love this. But it, it, it's catchy, and and when you scratch below the surface, it's so well produced and arranged. And again, even with the, the music by the time I was sitting there, like nodding my head along with it, and um, and I never did watching a film. So yeah, the the, the music is just great from a production and uh, you know performance point of view. I think virtually faultless. It's very rare that I ever have much good to say about anything. Really, I'm really negative about um, most things. I only found out in the past couple of weeks when I was reading about it, watching videos, and so Purple Rain. I just always assumed was. Um, recorded in a recording studio and they actually the, the recording you hear most of that song was recorded live at a concert and then um edited um and, and overdubbed on it i assume that the band re-recorded parts that needed re-recording but the bulk of that song that you hear is actually a live song and and it works really well when the act well musicians when they're when they're miming to it on, on stage when you see them in the film they're really, really good at miming the song, <laughs> and it, and it it's just convincing as a live performance, um, and then that's what's more impressive. And the fact that, that recording it was the the first time they ever played it live, and they recorded it and committed it to record basically. So that's well, and it's it's gone on to amazing. What can you say? Great musicianship, and more surprising as well, considering it was meant to be a country song. And I think Prince had originally offered it to um, uh, Stevie Nicks to sing originally, but she turned it down because she thought it was too big a job to do. But you talking about the music, I was surprised that um, Darling Nikki, like the lyrics to that reference, Masturbation, you know the black, black and white labels, you know, Parental Advisory? That stems from that film. There's a lobby group in America called the Parents Music Resource Centre, the PMRC. They were led by Mary Gore. They lobbied and lobbied the music industry, and then as a result of listening to Like a Virgin and Darling Nikki. And the results of that lobbying was the music industry self policing themselves with a parental advisory sticker that we now see today that's all over music. I didn't even know that. So, yeah. It was certainly a, a, a trailblazing film in more senses than one in that respect. Um, one of the things that really kind of really want to say is it is showing its age. And I think that you nailed it, Chelsea, when you said everybody was pronouncing everything so that everything can be heard right. <laughs> and yes. the reason for that, I think, is the mics they were using. It was quite a low-budget film. Um, it's almost like $7 million or something. So really, really low-budget even in the 80s. And I think the mics they were using were absolutely trash because – if you're, if you're in the outside, you've got all of the road noise, all of the noise that's around them. You can you have to really dial into what they're saying. And then when you're in the clubs, the music is banging. But as you say, Mark, it's probably just the fact that they've overdubbed <laughs> it and it's been recorded and done properly. So they didn't really have to spend much money in the clubs. One of the things now is uh, Atmos. So uh, I'm sure you're all aware of Atmos, where you've got a soundtrack that you've got spatial sound. So you have 
music coming all over you. There's a, there's a streaming service called Tidal, and Tidal is really high-quality music streaming service. And they have done an Atmos mix of When Doves Cry, and it is incredible. You've got music coming above you. You've got it coming around the sides. This film really needs an Atmos master. It's only because I've heard When Doves Cry in the Atmos mix separately to the film that you kind of realise how much it's missing and what depth it's missing. Because there's all sorts of instrumentation in that song that the film version, probably for its age really, it doesn't come through. You, you hear a lot of drum, you hear a lot of guitar, but you don't hear any of the other sounds that, that are in there. And it's so layered. Well, yeah, the reality is when you're mixing music, you've got two channels and everything's fighting for frequencies. It is a bit of a compromise in a way. The audio mastering in those days was, I suppose, limited in some respects. This is why so many records get remastered nowadays. I think there was a great, there was a great quote in the film. Um, that said that somebody spoke to Prince and they said, your music makes sense to no one but yourself. And <laughs> I think that was that perfectly summed it up until you get towards the end of the film and then you realise and you listen and you can see how kind of self-referential those, those yeah. lyrics are. But there's, there's a lot of a lot of the uh, lyrics for the film do actually match up with, um, you know, the various themes and, um, you know, the storyline. So it's... But it, but it's not apparent. It, it's a, it's only when you really get into the music that you, you pick up on those things. So it, I mean, in a, in a way, it's one of those films that musically, I'm guessing it was probably a bit wasted on the audience. It's, it's mm. one of the, I think the songs are songs that you need to listen to over and over again. You know, to get them to get the most out of it. There we go. Mind blown. Right. Um, we digressed. So on. Music and sound and score, I gave it an eight. 9.75. No, I'm, I'm going to go with 10. I'm a 10. <laughs> 10. I'm 10 all the way. You see, I would have been a 10 had it purely just been on Prince's music. Yeah. But as we're looking at the film and all of those other little bits, that's what drops it down for me. Okay. Because the quality doesn't. The quality isn't consistent yep. with what Prince is outputting. Probably right. But the the good music overrides the bits you forget about. Yeah. So if you remember <laughs> the good bits, then technically yeah. Yeah. it's a ten. <laughs> and, and for me, it's more about why they chose the songs, right? You got to, you know, for me, it's more about they chose crappy songs because they couldn't outshine Prince, yeah. right? They chose, they chose the songs to fit the story, Yeah. you know? In my opinion, that's what I think. I feel like it's like, okay, we got to choose a song that is as not good. And then even when Prince did things like Darling Nikki, you got to choose a song that fits what he's trying to say as far as film wise. So you got to forget that it's music and, and think about it more as this is part of the story. So just like Sex Shooter, it needed to be bad. <laughs> it needed to show them in that weird twisting move that they were doing. What the hell was that? <laughs> One section is visual effects. Now, I've got a very quick note on this. It's a low-budget film. It's in situ, in the clubs. Uh, I thought the visual effects were stunning uh, because what they had to work with, the time that they had to work with it, and uh, that guitar at the end was superb. Is that the, the cloud guitar? The white one? That's the guitar that he stroked and then it ejected water over everybody. <laughs> 
is the only best way I can politely say that on a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> There's not much in the way of effects in the film, but the set design, because a lot of it's location films, um, yeah, it looks good. It's gritty when it needs to be. Pretty I good. went more for the lighting part, because I never look at that, and it was it seemed to be a heavy mix of purples, reds and blues, mm-hmm. but it wasn't too dark, and I could see yeah. everything, so I like that. Yeah, and uh, so I, on the effects side of things, I just went for a 10. I gave it an 8. Of a score to give it in that respect, but I'll not. I'll go with nine. I would say ten, just because of of like Mark said, set design and you know putting together those concerts is just a massive um, undertaking, you know. And I think they did it very well. I felt like I was at a concert. And then video quality was the last one, which was Donald Thorin uh, was the cinematographer, and Donald Thorin went on to do Tangle yeah. and Cash and The Golden Child a little bit later on after after Rain and. You're talking about the concerts yeah. and the set design. I think he, as a cinematographer in the 80s, I think he did an absolutely fantastic job. Um, the focus was purely on prints yeah. when he was on stage, but the band also get a look in. You're still focusing on prints, but you can see exactly what's going on. You can see the band reacting with him. When he's doing his showmanship, shall we say, he's in full pristine glory. And then when he isn't, it, you still get this kind of visceral feel. Uh, the dark environments, you'd think they'd come out really grainy and those purples and blues that Chelsea mentioned would just dominate, but they don't. And I think whatever film stock he decided to use he, and whatever lenses he used, I think he made the perfect choices. There is something very endearing about low definition on screen for me because I think growing up, everything I watched was low definition and when i watch stuff from the 80s and the 90s i get quite taken aback by how different it looks when you watch it in hd i remember when i first saw back to the future on an hd tv and it was horrible i hated every every minute of it when we've watched tv shows from oh, the, and 80s the and 90s. That oh yeah yeah and it, um murder she wrote in hd it's, it's horrendous it's just wrong. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't meant to be like that. Well, the thing is, your negatives are actually uh, just a little over than 8K. You, you, whatever film stock they've used um, is roughly uh, translates to about 8K. So it's filmed a lot higher than what you expect, which are because it's downscaled for things like, say, TV series, for example, like Murder for Oat or or even this film. When it came out, it would have been for an SD audience, or at the very, very most, it would have been um, THX standard, potentially. That then translates, obviously, to VHS. It translates then to DVD, when, and then, obviously, later on, there we've got Blu-ray. So when they're going back and they're remastering, if they're remastering off the original negatives, they're actually going up to 8K and downscaling back down to 4 uh, and one of the things that you see is, you know, if you look at um, Blu-ray.com, for example... <laughs> If you if you look on a review of, of of a film on there, they will actually go into some detail and they'll tell you the frame rate that they've used, the compression ratios, and all that kind of technical stuff. Um, and it's quite interesting, really, how when they say that there's been a restoration, all they've done is rescan it at a slightly higher rate. They haven't actually done anything frame by frame. And while we're talking about that, I know I'm digressing, but Star Trek the Motion Picture. I am so looking forward to that. I used to like a bit of Star Trek. Is that so? That that's the first Star Trek. Yeah, 
Yeah, I know the one. Um, that has been remastered, but it's a remaster going back to the negatives and scanning them in. They've actually chucked it into uh, into a computer and doing it frame by frame, and they're manually um, colorizing and manually adjusting every frame. Going back to Purple Rain, if they were to do, they've done a light restoration because there is a HD version out there. But if they were to go back and do that and stick an Atmos track on it, it would be an amazing film. But it's whether or not they've got the will. Probably not. Although it is in some sort of Hall of Fame in America, I believe. Yeah, it's been preserved. Influential it was. All right. So, yeah, I gave video quality an eight. Well, I'm going to throw my score out there. I can give it an eight. I would agree with David uh, with an eight. I'll go with eight. Uh, it was... Yeah, it was good. It looked good. So we come to an overall rating. Dun, dun, dun. So for Purple Rain, we actually gave it a recommended. Oh, right, yeah. I'd recommend it, definitely. Uh, yeah, it comes out at 8 out of 10 across the, the figures that I've got. Yeah. And it, has, it is one of those films that everybody should see. Yeah. I'm glad you said that, because I've written on here, it's one of those films everybody should watch at least once. So thank you to David, thank you to Chelsea, and thank you to Mark for appearing on the podcast and having a thorough discussion about Prince's Purple Rain. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Also, if you enjoyed listening to the podcast, why not support us on buymeacoffee.com forward slash silverhedgehog, or simply just like and subscribe to the podcast and give us an amazing rating to help us push us up the ratings and get heard. The podcast will return and we'll be discussing Tom Cruise's Oblivion. Tom Cruise is currently dominating the box office with Top Gun Maverick, so it seems fitting that we would discuss a film starring Tom Cruise and directed by Joseph Kaczynski. But until then... Stay safe, everybody. Don't forget to keep an eye on the silverhedgehog.com website for all new cool stuff. The Silver Hedgehog podcast was produced by Gary Llewellyn and title music, History Repeats Itself by FSCM Productions, available and promoted by freestockmusic.com. Thanks for listening. Hedgehog out.